Evening, church. So we're looking at Luke chapter 19. So if you can have your Bibles open there, that'd be really good. We'll be going through verses 1 to 10. But before we can appreciate this passage, we need to back up a little bit. Why? Because if we can back up a little bit, we can see the bigger picture. We can see the context of, of what's happening in Luke chapter 19. So I really recommend that you go home and read chapter 17 onwards because it really just gives you the death and um, the volume to, to really understand chapter 19. So what, what's hap- happening is I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I'm going to go through it breakneck, breakneck speed. Um, what happens is there was the Pharisees, they, they were getting sick of Jesus. They were like, man, Jesus, are you the Messiah or are you not? And then one of them asks, when is the kingdom of God coming? And then Jesus replies, it's pretty much already here. You missed it. Pretty much the kingdom of God is where God rules and God reigns. And you know what? I'm God and you missed me. The kingdom of God is where I am. And from that moment on, Jesus starts describing what it's like and what it's not like. Who makes it in and who, who doesn't make it in. And then he's trying to encourage his crowd, don't get so caught up in this life that you miss the afterlife, that you miss true life. Don't get so consumed by the stuff of this world and forfeit the chance to follow me. And sadly, this happens in Luke 18 with a rich young ruler. He came and then asked Jesus, Jesus, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus pretty much says in a nutshell, you have to give everything up. And sadly, this guy cannot give everything up. And Jesus says this, how hard is it for a rich to enter the kingdom of God? It is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So those around him heard this and they asked, so then who can be saved? Jesus replies, what is impossible to man is possible with God. And we see chapter 19, Jesus goes on to prove this point. But before that, I, I need to read chapter 18, verse 31. This is what Jesus says. Jesus took his 12 disciples and he said to them, we are going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, pretty much betrayed. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But on the third day, he will raise again. And the disciples are hearing this, and they're like, huh? Like, Peter, what is he talking about? I don't know, man. So the disciples are clueless, but that's the context. That's the background of our passage. And then the Bible says, Jesus approached Jericho. Now, Jericho, it's an important city. It is only 25 kilometers from Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is pretty much the last city before Jesus arrives at his final destination, Jerusalem. He already told his disciples what's going to go down in Jerusalem, that they're going to go in as a group, as a crew for the final time. And before they know it, Jesus will come out of Jerusalem, carrying a cross on his shoulders, suffering a horrific death. Jesus approached Jericho and there he meets a blind man and Jesus heals this blind man. And he enters the city of Jericho. Now that takes us to Luke chapter 19 Verse 1, Jesus enters Jericho. But before we dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, would you send your Holy Spirit 
to open our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. Change our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me tell you a little bit more about the city of Jericho. Not only was it the gateway to the capital city of Jerusalem, it is also the gateway of all the other major lands east of the Jordan. Now everyone crosses that river. Basically, it's an important strategic city because all the intersecting roads and highways, they all cross it. It is the hub. It has more commerce, more traffic, more trade than any other part of that region. And it's also boasts of one of the most heavily taxed city in the entire region of Palestine. And Zacchaeus, he takes that tax. And so Zacchaeus becomes one of the most wealthiest men of his time. And the Bible tells us in verses 1 to 4, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on Sycamore tree. That's all I'm singing. I can't sing. I'm sorry, guys. That's why I'm not joining the choir. No, join the choir. Join the choir. He wanted to see Jesus. But there's a problem. He's vertically challenged. Now, before we... <laughs> I don't know why it's funny, but okay. But before we go on, we need to talk about exactly who Zacchaeus is. And here's what we do with time. And here's what we do with Christianity. And especially in Sunday school. is What we do is we take characters like Zacchaeus and we soften him up a bit. We make him look a bit pudgy. We, we give him little big eyes to make him a little bit cuter. We make him out to be the victim. We put bubble wrap on this guy. And we make this guy seem like the guy that's just down on his luck. We make him the victim. Oh, look. Oh, poor little soul. He's such a loner. Oh, oh, poor Zacchaeus. Now, don't feel sorry for little Zach. Little Zach is a bad boy. We know that Jesus is drawn to the poor, drawn to the marginalized, born, drawn to the abused and the belittle. Now, wait a moment. Because Zacchaeus, he is the one that makes people poor so he could get rich. He is the one that's doing the marginalizing. He is the one doing the abusing and the belittling. He's that sort of guy. He is a bad guy. Don't feel sorry for little Zach. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He probably strut around town feeling really proud. Yes, he's a short little man, but he made up for it with a big bank account. He's living the life, the thug life. He would probably strut around and say, I run these streets and I'm short, but they fear me. <laughs> He's the Mr. Burns of the Simpsons. He is Mr. Big from Zootopia, who, who has goons as polar bears. And he's one of the most feared crime bosses in all of Zootopia. Let's have a look at a little clip of who Mr. Big is, if you haven't seen the movie. It's a good movie. Mr. 
So Mr. Big, he's really small. He's a mice. Now Zacchaeus in his society, he is the ancient mafia godfather. He's a Jew cheating on Jews for their money to give to their enemy, the Roman Empire. He's a dog by Jewish definition. He is the worst of the worst. He is an outcast. What happens to these tax collectors is they are never, they are banned from the temple. And so what happens when they get banned from the temple? They are no longer worshippers. They are no longer allowed into the presence of God. And what the Pharisees taught is that these tax collectors, they have, they have crossed the line. They have gone so far from the point of redemption. God's hands of salvation cannot reach them no more. So Zacchaeus, he's a total reject. He is a lost soul. He, he is unredeemable. That's what they believed. Now, evidently, Jesus walks into his town. He comes into Zacchaeus' hood. These are his streets. Now, keep in mind, Zacchaeus is not a normal tax collector like the disciple Matthew who works at a tax collector booth. No, Zacchaeus is not an assistant tax collector. He is not a normal tax collector. He is not a manager of tax collector. No, he is the chief tax collector. So he has tax collectors working under tax collectors, working under tax collectors, working under tax collectors, and he's the top of the pyramid, and he gets a cut from all of them. Now, he is a wealthy man. And Jesus is coming through his town, and he would have been hearing stuff about Jesus. Now remember, Zacchaeus is still a Jew. And as a Jew, he would have grown up reading the scriptures about the coming Messiah. And Jesus is rumored to be one of the leading candidates of this Christ, of this Savior. Now I don't know what Zacchaeus has heard. Maybe he's heard of a lot of other miracles in the three years that Jesus was doing his ministry. And also remember, Jesus has also just recently healed a blind man before he entered the city of Jericho. And so Zacchaeus hears all this. And this short little man, he is curious. But the problem is, he's short. He's a hobbit, if you will. Now, we can't stop this man from taking our taxes because he can break our legs because it's lawful to do so. He can burn down our houses and anything like he has the Roman guards. We can't stop him from taking our taxes, but we can stop him from seeing stuff. You just need to. And it blinds him. So verse 4 says, and Zacchaeus ran. Now don't read past that because this is crazy stuff. He ran. Now in that day and culture, in that day and age, full grown men only run for two things. One, if they're a soldier and the commanding officer tells them to charge and that's why they run in battle. Or two, their house is on fire. But here, a full-grown man is running. Now that's humiliating. Not only that, the Bible also tells us that he climbs a tree. Imagine what he's wearing. He's wearing a robe, a, a toga, a, a little, I don't know, dress if you will. And he's climbing the tree. Now, I just want to imagine what type of posture he has on that tree. Is he hanging down like a sloth, like, you know, gripping onto the trunk? Or is he squatting down like a monkey? Now, if he's squatting down, I feel sorry for the people who looks up. Oh. <laughs> that's cringeworthy. That is more, that's embarrassing. 
That is embarrassing. That is. They already hated him. They're probably sneering him. Oh, look, little Zach slamming the tree. He looks like a fool. But Zacchaeus runs and he climbs. Why? Because he just wants to see a glimpse of who Jesus is. He just wants to see a glimpse. I just want to put a face to all the rumors that I've been hearing. But little did Zacchaeus know that Jesus decides to stop at the exact tree that Zacchaeus climbed. Now wonder if Zacchaeus thought to himself, because I'm putting myself into Zacchaeus' shoes, if, if, if I was Zacchaeus and Jesus stopped at the exact tree I climb, I'd be probably thinking, I'm a genius. I'm brilliant. Out of all the trees that I had to pick, I had to pick the one that Jesus stopped under. Man, I'm good. Do I see anybody else climbing trees? No, I did. Jesus must be impressed. That's why he stopped at my tree. That's what I'm probably thinking. But I want to stop here and explain to you a few things. Because we are very similar to Zacchaeus metaphorically. Some of us live under the belief that the higher we climb, or if we climb a high enough tree, God will stop and notice us. If we climb high enough, like God's going to go, whoa, Zacchaeus, you are three meters off the ground. Whoa, Zacchaeus, you prayed for 37 minutes today. Whoa, Zacchaeus, you, you know all these theological words. Oh, I'm stopping by your tree, little slugger. Whoa, Zacchaeus, you actually tie, oh, never have I all in eternity. No, God doesn't do that. But we still believe it. And I can prove it by the lifestyle that we live because we still believe that God only recognizes and honor those crazy few climbers that, that works hard, that, that, that just serves at the church all the time. God only stops at those trees. That's why so many of us continue to climb. And if we're not careful, we as a group of people, we as a church, encourage each other on the climb. Keep climbing. But I'm not blessed. My, keep climbing. But my kids don't go to church. Well, then you climb faster. Climb higher. And before we know it, we have families falling off the treehouse. Why? Because we're tired. We're tired. But let these next few words ring true and loudly in your life. What Jesus says to Zacchaeus is, to us followers today, to come down. And by the way, hurry. Come down. Come down from trusting yourself. Come down from trusting your ability. Come down by trusting your gifting. Come down by trusting your acts of good works and your deeds. Come down from your merits. Come down. Let's just all come down. Now, there was an old preacher by the name of David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He often gets people coming to him and, and telling him, I, don't, I would like to think I'm a Christian, but I don't think I'm good enough. And to his reply to them is, of course you're not good enough. Nobody's ever good enough. Because the essence of salvation is to say, I'm not good enough, but he is. Jesus is good enough, and I am in him. That's the essence of our gospel. We don't have to climb. The only thing that we need to do is to come down and fall into his embrace.
That's all we need to do. So verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, when Jesus reached that tree, he looked up upon and he said, Zacchaeus. Now in the midst of a huge crowd, if you were there that day, you hear Jesus call Zacchaeus by name. In other words, Jesus saying, I know you, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know about you, but in my household, when my wife, Demi, says, Vindo Achi Nguyen, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> so you as a crowd listening in, if you have ever been cheated or exploited or scammed by this weeny little man before, you would probably be probably having dreams and wishes that, oh, I wish one day that my God meets my tax collector. And God just sends a lightning bolt down at him. Oh, look how convenient. He's up on a tree and scientifically trees are lightning conductors. Jesus smite him. But to everyone's shock and horror, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I am staying at your house today. Now, we don't see this in the English, but there's an urgency in this command. Come down quick and hurry. I must stay at your house today. So verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus hurriedly down, went down the tree. Now, again, I wonder what that looked like. Was it like a, like a possum just down the tree? Now, this guy is happy. Now, this guy is pumped. Can you see his pumpness? I, I wonder if he even put his hands around Jesus and they started walking home. And there the crowd in verse 7 complained, he's, he's going to spend time to be a guest with a sinner? Now reading from hindsight, Jesus, you only have about a week plus left to live. And you're going to spend time with a sinner? Like, I don't know about you, if I knew I only have a week plus to live, of course, I'll spend time with my family and drink as much bubble tea as I can. But Jesus, you're spending time with a sinner? Ultimately, remember, Jesus, you only have 25 kilometers left of your journey. But Jesus, for him to say, I must stay at your house today. There's purpose to this. This is to show the reason why he came. To understand this is to understand the gospel. And you find out the reason why in verse 10 later on. So coming over to someone's house, you'd probably be thinking, hey, what's the big deal about that? Because that's because you live in today's age and culture. Coming to someone's house, having some food, having a drink, entertainment, well, hey, what's the big deal? Back then, hospitality was very different to hospitality today. Because to invite someone into your house means you're inviting them into your life. So what Jesus was doing was he is entering the life of Zacchaeus. And then it happens. Verse 8. There the scene changes from a road and a tree. And now we are at the scene of Zacchaeus' house. I don't know how long they were there. They're probably having dinner there from cultural studies. And everything changes for our little thug. Zacchaeus probably stands up, he takes a wine glass and he starts dinging it. I don't know if he had glass, it probably a uh, metal cup, chonk, 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 I don't know how it sounds. And he says, I have an announcement to make. And what 
he proceeds to say is absolutely shocking to all his colleagues, to all his other circle of friends, other tax collectors. It is absolutely, he, he says, <coughs> Lord, that very word is very risky for what he said about Jesus. Because what he just called Jesus was Lord. And to call any other man Lord besides Caesar, that's treason. And he's holding a high official post. He could have, he could have lost his life. He's definitely losing his job now. But he saw that the man sitting next to him as God. He just called Jesus God. He looks like a man, but I know and convinced now that you are God. And because I've spent time with God in the flesh, this is what I'm going to do. And he says, I'll give half of my good to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by cheating them, I'll restore it four times. One day, one afternoon, one moment, one experience with Jesus and hundreds of years of the law could not fulfill this, could not accomplish that. But when you meet a man who fulfilled the law, when, you, when Zacchaeus meets a man and not a set of rules of do's and don'ts, in Leviticus 5, verse 6, it says, Under the law, if Zacchaeus finds that he has cheated someone, the law requires him to pay back 100% plus another 20% more, which is 120%. But looking at our passage, what Zacchaeus is offering is 400%. So he is eclipsing the law by 280%. Man, I'm good at mess. <laughs> Why? Because he meets a person, not a principle. Not a concept, but he meets the Christ. And this leads Zacchaeus to essentially say, I'm out. I'm done. I'm quitting my job. I'm changing the way I live. Now, I heard a little made-up story by an American preacher named Chris Brown when I was going uh, through my research for my sermon. And, and he said, as Zacchaeus started to do the very things that he said that night, this is how it would play out. In the dark of the night, as Zacchaeus knocks on this little door of this little house, he wakes up the family. So the man of the house, he grabs his candle, he puts it in the lamp, and he brings the lamp out, yawning. And as he gets to the door, he opens the little latch, and he opens it a little bit. And he sees Zacchaeus, and he just slams the door. It's Zacchaeus, what is he doing here? What does he want? Like, he's already collected our money. And the wife is in bed. And she's like, oh, honey, who is it? It's Zacchaeus. And the wife is now also awake. What? Didn't he collect us two months ago? Didn't we give our kids college funds to him? Obviously, this story's American. Because <laughs> Australia, we don't. <laughs> we have hacks. How awesome. <laughs> and the wife says, who's with him? The husband doesn't know. So he checks, he opens the door, and he looks over the horizon because it's really easy to see over Zacchaeus, and he shuts the door again. <laughs> He's alone. And the wife says, well, you can't leave him out there because he can torch down the place. Ask him what he wants. So the husband begrudgingly reopens the door and says, uh, Zacchaeus, sir, uh, how can I help you? And Zacchaeus hands him this big, massive envelope saying, hey, I just had dinner with Jesus, and I'm sorry. 
And he turns around and he leaves and goes to the next house. And at this, the husband shuts the door. His face is frowning. And he's holding this envelope. And the wife is asking, what sort of bill is it this time? And he opens it up and it's a whole bunch of $100 bills. Well, honey, I, I, I guess all five of the kids are going to college now. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, why did he give us that? He said he had dinner with Jesus. He should have dinner with Jesus more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you see, church, there was no manipulation. There was no pressure, no do-goodism, no self-help that could change Zacchaeus. But one moment with Jesus did. And I tell you, church, if you just spend time, you spend those moments with Jesus, wouldn't your life change? Don't look down on your devotion time. Don't look down on the time when you just meditate on his word. Don't look down on the time of prayer. Don't look down on the time when even in your car and you have the worship music on and you're just enjoying him. Don't look down on those few short moments with Jesus because they can really transform your life. And if our church really just cherishes those times with Jesus, I believe that our church is going to transform into something even way more scary. Scary. (laughs) Verse 9. Jesus then said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. Jesus didn't say salvation has come to this house because he gave a lot of money. No, he didn't say that because Jesus says, for he too is a son of Abraham. For he too is a son of Abraham. Now the crowd and the Pharisees, if they were there, they would have been shocked. Jesus just went against everything that the teachers of the law, everything that the Pharisees have been, has been you know, teaching these people. They taught that the tax collectors are no longer in, allowed into the presence of God. They are no longer redeemable. No longer will they have salvation. And Jesus just says, nah, nah. He's God's kid. He's God's son. He's a part of the family. Now imagine if you were Zacchaeus and you heard that. And I'll show you something else that is utterly Beautiful. Verse 5, look at these two verses, verse, look at verse 5 and look at verse 9. Two phrases. Jesus says in verse 5, I'm coming to your house. Verse 9, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. I'm coming to your house. Salvation has come to this house. What Luke, the author, is trying to say here is wherever Jesus is present, salvation is present. Jesus doesn't point to salvation. No, he is our salvation. Jesus is in front of a man who is morally corrupt. And the crowd would have expected him to, and, and they would happy to hear that, hey, only if Zacchaeus clean his house up, if he gets his life clean, only if he repent first, get rid of all his sin first and, and be good, then only then you should love him, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do all that. No, Jesus says, I'm coming into your life and I'll love you first while you were yet still sinners. And the result is that Zacchaeus changes his life. He cleans up his life. Now that's the essence of our gospel. We are not saved 
because we do good. No, no, because we're saved, that's why we do good. Church, never mix that order up. So we come to our last verse today, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and saved what was lost. Now this is a very important passage. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. So you are asking, so who looks for who first? Did Zacchaeus look first or did Jesus look first? It, it's, it almost seems like, from verses 1 to 9, it almost seems like that Zacchaeus was the one who searched first, right? A full-grown man running, which is unsightly. A full-grown man climbing a tree, suffering humiliation, dig, dignitation. I don't know that, that word. You see, before Zacchaeus, in verse 4, even ran and climbed to seek Jesus, before he even had the thought of seeking God, God was already first seeking Zacchaeus. Says this in verse 10, it was his mission all along to seek and save those whom are lost. So who is Zacchaeus? I'm Zacchaeus. You're Zacchaeus. We are all Zacchaeus. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are like Zacchaeus. We are all short in stature. But God came in search for us. How did he come? He came running. The story of the prodigal son depicts a God, a loving father who runs to embrace his child. Even though the society around him would have mocked him because that was an embarrassing act for a father figure, an elderly man to run. But Jesus still runs to you and I. Zacchaeus climbed the tree. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get down from the tree. Why did he do that? Because Jesus himself was going to be nailed to a tree. We don't have to climb anymore. We don't have to climb the ladder to try to reach God. No, no, no. Jesus will make that climb. Jesus will perfectly make that climb to end all of our efforts of climbing. We, for so long, have been trying to climb up to get closer to God, but Jesus is here to bring God to man. And to do that, what happened was, Jesus had to pay the price. There was scorning, mocking, whipping, flogging, people spitting on him. And at the end of the day, they killed him. From cultural tradition, we know that Zacchaeus would set a table for Jesus as his guest. And tonight, Jesus also sets a table before us and invites us to come. We will do that very soon in remembrance of what Jesus has done. Zacchaeus would have felt it. Here is a man that risked time at my table. Here is a man that did not care about his reputation when the people around him says, why are you spending time with sinners? Now, Jesus just didn't, it wasn't just the cost of his reputation. 
No, it cost him his blood that was poured out on the cross. It cost him his life. He didn't just bore the disdain of the world. No, he also bore the sin of the world. He bore the death of you and I, and he bore the wrath that was rightfully belonging to our heads. So as a church, we're going through a month of generosity. Now, this month, you know, we're not just collecting money for ourselves. No, no, we're we're collecting these money to, to send to overseas missions like to Indonesia, Thailand, and, and even to the, the local mission here. I mean, we're not trying to collect it for ourselves. And I really do pray that this whole month, I pray that Jesus becomes so real to you that you would just give, not because you have to, because you met a man that changed you through and through. Why can we be generous? Because Christ was generous to us. Why can we give? Because Christ first gave. Freely we receive, freely we give. God bless you, church.